number 2. Titus chapter number 2. And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, Three Discipleship Truths for Successful Mission. Three Discipleship Truths for a Successful Mission. Doubtless, every one of us here wants to find and to have a purpose for life, a purpose for which you give your lives to live. We want our lives, at the end of the day, to mean something. Sometimes we get maybe a bit older and you speak with some older folks and they, they're, they're sharing maybe some of the regrets. They're trying to look back at their life and to say, did it, did it have purpose? Was there, was there meaning? Did, did anything that, that I did through these many years, did, did, does it matter at the end of the day? In fact, there are those we know in our, sometimes in our churches, people that we come in contact with that, that have, have concluded that in fact their life has no purpose whatsoever. And they are depressed and sometimes even suicidal. Some of us perhaps here this morning, our mission, our purpose is to raise a family or to get through university or to grow the family business. Or simply just get it to the weekend so that we can relax and have fun. But I would suggest to you this morning that none of these things, as much value as perhaps they have, none of these things are an end in themselves. Notice, if you would please, in Titus chapter 1, here Paul is writing to one of his sons in the faith, one of his disciples, a young man by the name of Titus, approximately 66 AD, perhaps uh, just a year before he wrote uh, his final epistle, the epistle of Second Timothy, uh, just before he was executed. And so this is a year or two maybe before, uh, before Paul uh, was executed and, and, um, and met the Lord. So he's an older man in the ministry, and he's writing to uh, this young man, Titus, who has been left to carry out a very challenging mission on the island of Crete. Notice how Paul begins this letter in chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice his description of himself. Paul, a bondslave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ... For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in His word through the preaching which I have, which has, which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior." So as the elect people of God, who he refers to in chapter 1 and verse number 1, we each have been assigned, Paul refers to this, a greater mission. And in this message, I want you to see Paul's encouragement and exhortation to Timothy. I want you to see that the ministry of Christ is not just about a few professionals 
that you as a local church hire to be your pastors or your, or your elders or, or carry out some key strategic functions within this growing body of Christ. God's mission is not just for a few professionals. Godliness, leadership training, and spiritual maturity is the responsibility and the expectation of every single Christian. So if you are in that category, a Christian, this is a direct message from God through the Apostle Paul to Titus and to you. And Christian women, this morning, today, we salute you. You are vital disciple makers in the home and in the church called and strategically positioned by God to shape and influence men and women sons and daughters for Jesus Christ the future pastors of Palmetto Baptist Church are being discipled by you in your homes The future missionaries for the 1040 window are being discipled by you in your homes and in the context of this local assembly of believers. The next generation of missionaries is being shaped by your life and your ministry in the trenches of what you might think this morning is everyday mundane life. They're watching as you make decisions as imperfectly as it may be and as you live out the truth of the gospel every single day you are shaping their outlook their faith and their values someone has said that discipleship is the mission of the church and every single christian has been called to engage in God's mission of reconciling sinful human beings to Himself through Jesus Christ for the ultimate purpose of bringing glory to God among the nations. We have been given a specific task. Paul referred to that in verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Disciples are created by saving faith in Jesus Christ. Notice again in chapter 1 and verse number 1 that Paul refers to that he is a servant and an apostle for the sake of faith, the faith of God's elect, for their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Here is then the process of God's activity in human salvation, faith, knowledge that results in godliness. This is also the pattern for Christian growth. Faith, knowledge, and godliness. In verses 5 through 16, Paul reminds Titus that he is to establish qualified elders. Disciples are to be trained by qualified elders in the context of the local church. But in our text in chapter 2, we are told that disciples are also to be trained by the proclamation and the application of truth by faithful Christians who demonstrate the radical life-changing impact of the truth that they have received. As for you, Paul says in chapter 2 and verse 1, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
This is the job of the missionary church planter, to teach people the word of God and to raise up leaders for the work. This is the job of the pastors in the context of a local church, to teach people the word of God and to raise up leaders from the congregation for the work. And we do this in the context of false beliefs and false teachings. Again, we see that in in chapter 1. He says in chapter 2 and verse 1, but as for you. In other words, Titus, there is a, a contrast. These people who profess to know God, but actually they deny Him by their works, verse 16 of chapter 1, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit, unreliable for any good work. We are to carry out this mission that God has entrusted to us in the context of false beliefs and false teachings. Paul, Titus has been sent here to the, to the island of Crete. If you know something of, of history, you know the, the idea of the, of the Greek Olympians, the, the birthplace. Crete was considered the birthplace of the Greek gods and amongst all of these Greek gods, the, the foremost and most famous was Zeus himself. Zeus was admired for his ability, amongst other things, great power, but also great ability to seduce beautiful women by assuming godlike characteristics. And if that failed, by lying and using deception to seduce these beautiful women to himself. And the Cretans took pride in this. Men in Crete were known for violence, serving as mercenaries. And women on this island were emancipated. In fact, they took pride in being the new Roman women. They had freedom. And in the midst of this corrupt context and culture, Titus has been sent to establish and to teach and to strengthen the local church. In our country of Zambia, probably the biggest thing that we face in the culture there as enemy of the gospel is the pervasive influence of traditional religions, African traditional religion, where there is a spiritual cause and effect for every aspect of life, and the balance must be kept by appeasing the spirits of the dead. And while many perhaps today in Zambia, would not quite go that far. Uh, This idea has fueled these men who claim to be modern-day prophets and men of God who are dispensers of spiritual power and healing and who have the ability to bring prosperity and ensure a good life for those who attend their church. In the United States, we are in the midst of a corrupt and immoral culture, are we not? The culture wars that are being talked about every day in the press. Education and technology resulting in a radical rejection of God and His authority over our lives and over our our land. Feminism, critical race theory, 
the woke agenda, the justice movement, the LBGTQA, abortion, which has been filling our airwaves over just this past week. All of these issues that remind us of the sin-cursed, depraved culture in which we live and we are called to make disciples. You see, from the time that we are born, ideas influence us. We get these ideas from our parents, our family, our friends, from popular culture, from music, art, movies, drama. And and some of these things, in fact, because of common grace, align themselves with biblical truth. But most do not. And so culture... Every culture provides a filter through which we then view the events of the world and try to bring sense to what is going on around us. We, we often use the term worldview to describe this. As Christians, we are called to love the Lord with all our hearts and souls and mind. Matthew 22, what is the great commandment? He was asked. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You see, every Christian must determine what they will allow to shape their lives by what they allow to shape their thinking. Ideas gleaned from the culture or truths from God's Word. And here in this, on this island of Crete, in this ancient Greek culture, the Christians on Crete had allowed uh, the culture of the day to seep down into their very DNA in the church on Crete. And this was wreaking havoc on people's lives and destroying their homes. He mentions it in verse number 11 of chapter 1, saying that these false teachers must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. You see, the Cretans, the Christians in Crete must have their minds transformed from their cultural value system to a biblical one. They were to put on a biblical view of things and live out the values of Jesus Christ and His kingdom in their families, in their workplace, in their communities, and ultimately among the nations. So here's the question. How does that happen in Crete? In the midst of such rank paganism and opposition to the, to the, to the truth of the Scripture and the rejection of Jesus and, and the rejection of the authority of of, of the Word of God. How does this happen in Crete? How does this happen in places like Zambia? Where for a thousand years people have been steeped in the, in the influence of African traditional religion. How does that happen? And how does that happen in Powdersville? I mean, is this going to be a holy huddle of previously converted people who find each other in the midst of a pagan culture and get together because we like the kinds of music that we sing, we really like the kinds of friendships that we enjoy, 
And so we're going to grow a church by recycling Christians who are disaffected or unsatisfied somewhere else. Is that what this? Is that what the church in Crete was to be? What is the mission? And how do we, what must we understand and and how must we engage in that mission? few times that I've been here, I always look at your sign, come. Well, at least you, you've all done that today. Grow. I know the kind of, of pulpit ministry that this church has enjoyed since its inception, and I have every confidence that if you've been here for very long, you can look at your life and you can acknowledge that you are experiencing growth, spiritual growth. Connect. I saw a lot of that happening before the service. Go. And you support missions. Not sure all that you're doing, but I know you've been involved in Zambia. But but what about what about out there? What's happening? How many recently converted Cretans? are here this morning. Like last week they were worshiping Zeus and this week they're worshiping Jesus. And, and how will those people who have been miraculously transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, how will they find and fulfill and carry out with you the mission of God? That's really the question. I fear that there is a strange dichotomy that occurs. You, and I don't mean you, I mean the church, you, good Bible-preaching churches, send us, missionaries, to foreign lands to do things that you're not doing yourself. You expect us, and should, to fearlessly proclaim the gospel and compel people to repentance and faith in Jesus, right? You expect us then to gather those people together and disciple and train them and raise them up and from that group create leaders for that local church that is being established. And you should expect that. But the question is, is that happening here? Because that's the mission. And I really think that is what the exhortation is in our text. I know it took a long time to get to this text, but I want to walk through it. I want to make some comments, and I want to point out three big ideas that I think is Paul's point. And then the Holy Spirit can apply those to us as he sees fit. Is that okay? Go back to the text. Look at this. How does this happen? Here's the first, here's the, here's the first idea. 
and I think we've already seen this in the comments. Discipleship fleshes out the gospel in the context of depraved cultures. And it's the second part of that statement that I want you to understand. This mission of God occurs in the context of depravity. Cultures that are morally and ethically and socially depraved. The more the depravity, the more the grace of God. The darker the night, the brighter the light. And and that's what's happening here in Crete. Notice notice in chapter 2, drop down verse 10, as he's he's, uh, uh, instructing and urging bondservants to be submissive for the sake of the gospel. And he says in verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn, decorate, make attractive the doctrine of God our Savior. You see, beloved, we are called to adorn the gospel. All cultures are depraved. And we are called to participate in the context in which God has placed us, but not assimilate. Participate, don't assimilate. So we don't withdraw into our little fortresses. Right? We come into our little church fortresses. And we all know the language. We all dress just the the, the particular kind of way. We sing the right kind of things. We smile and nod at the right time because, because we've got this down. I mean, this is, this is our culture within the culture. We withdraw because we want to be holy and we want to protect. And so we throw up this fortress around ourselves. And we actually can go through week after week with no meaningful evangelistic connection with anyone in our community. Because, heavens be, if my little child should hear a curse word from those unregenerates, we are to... We are to participate within the context of the culture. We are not to assimilate. This church was established on the mission field of Crete, right in the middle of this pagan, ungodly, self-centered culture where violence and deception were glorified. And it is in that context that, that, that Paul says to Titus in 2.12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Where? In this present age. You see, what makes the gospel shine brightly is the evidence of lives that are changed by the grace of God. These lives in Crete that are on display amongst formerly pagan peoples. Why? Because truth received equals godliness demonstrated. I'll say more in a moment on that. Discipleship is fleshed out. This mission is fleshed out in the context of depraved cultures. We are called to ordain this gospel. Well, what is this gospel? Well, Paul has referred to it already in chapter 1. 
In verse number one, he calls it this, teach that which accords with sound doctrine. In verse number one, he, he speaks of, of the, the sake of faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. What is this, God, this gospel? What is this doctrine? What is this body of truth that is to be believed and is to shape our lives and our mission? Maybe if I could give it to you in an acrostic that I read somewhere. Gospel. G. God created us to be with Him. And you find that in Genesis 1 and 2, right? So the whole Bible is, is, is pointing us to. The, the whole tenor of Scripture is this, is this good news that God created us to be with Him, Genesis 1 and 2, but our sins separate us from God. That's Genesis chapter 3. And then the rest of the New Testament, Genesis chapter 4, all the way to the end of Malachi, the S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds or by any efforts of our own. G-O-S-P, gospel. Paying the price for sins, Jesus died and rose again. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us about that. E, everyone who trusts in him has eternal life. There's the gospel of John. And the L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. There's Acts through Revelation. And you see, the, the, the point that is being made here by the Apostle Paul is that what you teach and what you accept as truth, truly believe in your heart, will affect the manner in which you live. What we believe determines how we live our lives. It affects our decision, decisions at every level. The decisions that we make and the actions that we take are shaped by what we truly believe, what we genuinely value to be true. What are the implications? Least two, that this is a vital part of the mission. What? The gospel. We preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who will believe. And number two, we teach them then to live in obedience to this gospel. As we wait, verse 13, to 13, for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So discipleship fleshes out the gospel in the context of depraved cultures, but there's a second thing. Discipleship is designed to take place in a community called the church. Paul has already instructed Timothy in regards to the leadership of this community, this corporate community of believers who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We share life together for the good of one another and for the glory of God. And Paul has instructed Titus to appoint, chapter 1 and verse 5, elders in every church, in every town, as, as, as was instructed. He then gives the the qualifications for these elders in verse number 6 of chapter 1. These godly elders in the church are to be, a, to be blameless in example, in life and in teaching. 
And then you come to chapter 2 and verse number 2, and he says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love in steadfastness. So not only are the, are, are the elders, the pastors of the church, to be appointed to lead and to teach and to guide this, this uh, community of believers, but older Christian men in the church are to be deeply involved in this process of discipleship. Our goal is the obedient living out of faith and truth by disciples of Jesus Christ in every culture and every people group around the world. So it's designed to take place in a community called the church. You see the leadership? But notice this is a community of people who share life in Jesus Christ. There's our, there's our singular point of connection. Now, now we, we may have other things that we relate with, right? We, we, we're from the same region of the, of the world, or, or, or we have a, a sports team that we share a common interest in, or, or our academic background, we came from the same educational institution. So there are other things that, that, that help form this relationship. But the one thing in the church around which we unify is the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. Older men and older godly women disciple the younger men and women in the context of the family of God, the local church. The sharing of the life of Christ happens in in life-on-life relationships with one another. Now, I think we see here in this text that there are, there are two aspects of this. One is that discipleship is, is verbal. There is a verbal proclamation. There is a transmitting of truth from one person to another. To, to, to Timothy, Paul will write uh, maybe a year after this, and the things that you have received from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit, deposit, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Second Timothy 2 2. So discipleship is verbal. There, there's instructions that are given, there's explanations that are shared. The how and the why. Again, I would say on this day that we, uh, that we uh, remember our mothers, that you ladies, here is where we need you desperately. Here is where we celebrate you. You see, the truth of the gospel is communicated in the day-to-day interactions and activities as we do life. As we, as we encounter difficulties, instructions, gospel instructions on how to navigate those things, how, how often those things happen and those things are shaped in the minds of young men and women in their homes. This is a community where discipleship is verbal, but also Paul not only says are we to say it, he also indicates that we are to do it. Verse number 7, he tells Titus, show yourself in all respects as a model of good works. 
in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So this discipleship is verbal instruction, but it's also, it's also example. Someone who says that the, the truth is as much caught as it is taught. It's the living out of the principles of the Scripture in the context of everyday life. Through the pain, through the disappointments, through the sins of others against me. Those who are closest to me will watch and hopefully learn what a biblical gospel response is when we are slandered, when we are persecuted, when life doesn't go the way we want it, when there's opposition, when there's our own personal failures, when there are disappointments, when there's conflict between two people. Our, our children in the context of our homes They are listening and they are learning and they are being discipled. They are learning values. And in the context of the family of God, we are watching each other. The loss of a child. How does does a Christian respond in in pain and agony and yet trust in in a God who is sovereign? You can can have all of the lectures on the sovereignty of God you want, but you watch someone walk that path and you see a demonstration of the truth of the Scripture applied in everyday living. That's That's the kind of relationship, that's the kind of discipleship that is to happen. Notice the third big idea. The first one is discipleship fleshes out the gospel in the context of depraved cultures. The second thing that we must remember that we learn is that this discipleship, this mission of God is designed to take place in a community called the church. And finally, this discipleship flows along the channels of relationship. And you see that especially in verse 1 through 4. It flows and is intended to flow along the channels or through the channels of relationships. As for you, verse 1, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here it is, verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, love, and, and steadfastness. So discipleship begins with the men, at least in this text. They are to be men whose lives, whose character is shaped by the gospel they profess. Lives that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. To the Ephesians, Paul wrote, be being filled with the Spirit, speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These men, we as the men, are to be sober. These older men. This is clarity of mind resulting in in making biblical decisions. We're demonstrating that soberness. They are reverent, meaning they are worthy of respect. Number three, they are to be self-controlled. They are not out of control in anger or addictions. 
And then they are sound. That, that the idea there, a medical term, that they are in good health. They are, sometimes you hear the term, they're of sound mind and sound body. That's the idea. These older men in the faith are sound in their faith. That's a personal faith. They are sound in love. Their personal relationships with others demonstrate agape love. And they are sound in steadfastness or endurance, perhaps, would be a clearer word. They are sound in endurance. They, they, they are steadfast. They are committed to relationships despite opposition. Can I, can I just talk to you older men for a minute? And I, I'm not sure where, where the line is, all right? So maybe you're older because you've been saved for 40 years. And you haven't yet hit 50 yet in age. I, I don't know. Older men, whoever you are. As you reach this chapter of your life, reject the culture that tells you now is a time to relax and throw your feet up. Don't take the most influential years of your life and coast. This is, I think, Paul's plea through, through Titus. You must persevere in this work of disciple-making in the congregation. You older men are on mission for God. You are to be an example, and you are to be those who are speaking into the lives of these younger men. Some of you, when you were younger, you... You really made an effort. You engaged. You made efforts to bridge the gap because you had a paycheck that was riding on it. So as, as the culture changed, as things changed, your business changed, and there was new technology, what, what did you do? You, you, you made every effort to bring yourself up to speed because you wanted to be successful. I mean, some of you were like me, right? We, we, we started out B.C., before computers. And then computers came, and we, we worked hard to learn new technology. I mean, we're already out of school. We're out there doing it, right? But we, but we made efforts because we wanted to bridge the gap. We wanted to be successful. We wanted to fulfill our purpose and our mission, and we gave it our all, right? And then somewhere along the line, 55, 60, I don't know how old, we took this American idea of retirement and we just, we just brought it into the whole realm of our life. And we just checked out. And now you make, you talk, ah, this technology, these cell phones. Kids these days, they're all just watching videos on YouTube. Well, guess what? Maybe you ought to learn how to watch videos on YouTube and find some really funny ones so you have a point to connect with some of these young guys. Because if that's what they're into, it's not what I'm into, but that's what they're into, then I need to get into what they're into. So I have a point of reference. Yeah, 
social media. And we just check out. And the culture around us continues to just go and go the way of depravity and darkness and influence the thinking of the next generation and we're over here somewhere. Totally disconnected. Paul is, Paul is urging, he is instructing Titus to instruct these older men not to change their moral character, to be sober and dignified in self-control, but be sound in their faith, sound in their love, and endure for the sake of the gospel and the building up of new believers in Crete. And I hope that's none of you. But if that's you, repent, return, and reactivate. We need you, older men. I need you. And now I'm kind of transitioning somewhere in there, and I need to be that for others. Finish well. Oh, no, I've been retired for 10 years. Not from Jesus, not from the gospel. Not from disciple-making. These are your best years. You've lived. You've failed. You've suffered. And now you just sit there. Paul is saying, Titus, young man Titus, as the pastor of the church, exhort, instruct the older men. This is not just a responsibility of the two or three paid elders of the church. All of you men. You say, well, we don't see very many people in this pagan culture come to Christ. Older men lead the way. Lead the way as evangelists. Show us how. Mentor us. I really believe that's the exhortation. Then secondly, never underestimate the influence of godly women. They're to be reverent in behavior, holiness in heart that reflects God's nature. They're to control their tongues. They're not to be slanderers. They're to control their appetites. And they're to be teachers of the younger women in word and example. What do these younger women in Crete need to know? How do they, how do they need to, to, what do they need to learn to live as, as these followers of Jesus? They need to learn what it means to love their husbands biblically. They need to learn how to love their children and see them as a blessing, not a burden. They need to learn how to chasten their children as a demonstration of biblical love. They need to learn to be discreet, to be wise in their sexuality in the midst of a perverse Christian culture. They need to learn to be chaste, to be pure in thought and conduct. They need to learn to be homemakers, to learn their responsibility that God says they have toward 
their husbands and their children. They need to learn to be good or kind, to be productive in the care of their household. And they need to learn to be obedient to their husbands as they use their spiritual gifts for his spiritual well-being. Ladies, some of you right now, where you are in life, you're managing home with small and growing children and perhaps the added burden of a job outside your home. You're running hard. You're feeling like you're just barely surviving from day to day to week to week with the demands of a husband and children and church and school and life. And maybe some of you are pregnant and you got three in tow. And you're thinking, my life is insane. It's crazy. I don't even know how I'm going to survive. I just try to get through the next hour. My wife and I have been there. We have seven of these beautiful little cherubs. And every one of them was a fallen angel, I can assure you. Older women, maybe, that, maybe your children are, are, are in university now or, or they're older in high school or, or maybe they're out, they've started their own, their own home. Older, older women, your, your children have grown, you, they've headed out to college, to marriage, to life. The children that once defined and consumed your life are gone and your home and family responsibilities now are less defined and less demanding. Now is not a time to throw up your feet and check out. You may be, as some some do, struggle with feelings of loneliness, uselessness, or self-pity. This is God's message for you. You should be women of godliness, worthy of respect, and intentionally mentor the younger ladies in the church. Love them. Encourage them. Build a relationship. Take the initiative. Offer to babysit. Develop deep friendships. For it is in the context of life-on-life relationships that truth is transferred. I conclude by just saying this, how you live matters. It matters to the gospel. It matters for the mission. It matters in your home. It matters in your church. It matters in your city. We are called to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And they will become like Him as they listen and follow our example. So if someone picks you this afternoon and begins following you everywhere and begins listening to your advice and to the things that you say and they follow the way you respond... Will they become more like Jesus if they listen to you and follow you? If you're not in the ministry here, it's time. It's time to get in the ministry. Serve God and serve His body by investing in others. And for those of you who are already there and you're, and you're working, praise be to God. Continue in those good things.
be an example and an encouragement to others. I spoke earlier of the gospel. Perhaps you're here and that gospel has never become yours. You've never repented of your sin and and received the life that Jesus Christ freely offers you. He stands today willing to save you if you will come to him. If you're here and you're saying, you know, as a Christian, there's a gap. A particular area of my life, God's just shown me there's a gap between what he is expecting, what he is commanding us to be and to do in this text and, and where I am right now. God's grace and God's power and God's kindness is there for you. What was yesterday doesn't have to be tomorrow because of God's amazing grace. Father, we thank you for our ladies. Thank you for our moms, the ladies who invest in the lives of others. We pray a special blessing on them this day. We pray that our church in Kitwe and that this church here would be filled with men and women who embrace the greater mission, proclamation of the gospel and the, in the midst of a depraved culture in which we have been chosen to serve. Proclaimers of the gospel, livers of the gospel, and that we would be men and women who do not throw up our feet and coast that we would be men and women who intentionally engage in teaching others to obey and to apply the glorious gospel truths that we are learning together. And at the end of it all, may you be glorified. Glorified in our lives, glorified in this church, and glorified among the nations, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.